Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches, and after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping to support others to do the same serve as regular reminders that we are not alone. When we allow all the parts of us to have an expression of life, including and especially the painful ones, we may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of the Healing Path Podcast. Today, I'm chatting about a post called, It Happens to Us Every Day. 26 years ago today, Our precious girl, Alexis, died at just 13 months and five days old. It never gets easier to face a day without her, and this day is no different. But I have learned some strategies over the years on how to best approach the day that marks our forever changed family. The strategies aren't 100% reliable, but certainly things like spending time with my family and friends, having a plan for how we're going to share that time, and indulging in a little pampering like getting a massage and enjoying a good meal. Usually these things, they help me through this particular season. And part of my survival strategy this year included making a date to break bread with one of my dearest friends. We met many years ago through our boys who were schoolmates. Alexis and also our son Emmanuel had already died, and I was actively reeling in the chaos of the pain. So often around this time of year, when kids were going back to school, leaves were starting to drift from tree to ground, and the air got a little crisper, I found my grief was further exacerbated because it reminded me of this anniversary on September 15th of losing Alexis. I turned repeatedly to the kindness of my dear friend for support, and she always listened. Years later, this friend would lose her own son unexpectedly. He was 18 years old when he died, just over five years ago. I abhor her now firsthand understanding of the complex emotions I tried to put into words over and over again over two decades of friendship. Grieving is like being in a club no one wants to belong to, but it it gets to be a bigger club 
As moms without children, we now traverse our unique paths of healing alone, but also together as friends. After arriving at the restaurant, we chose outdoor seating for our dinner date. We indulged in a delicious meal and we basked in the crisp fall air and the rapid drop in temperature. We caught up on everything as girlfriends do, including what's happening with our kids, both living and deceased. As we reflected on our grief, she expressed something I have myself experienced and also seen others discuss, but she never, she and I never really talked about this particular thing. And it has to do with the realization that when someone dies, we see the world through pre-death and then post-death lenses. And when we figure that out, we realize that anyone whom we may have tried to support or comfort who is in deep grief before we ourselves survived profound loss, that, that those people received a version of our compassion that was transactional. And we're not judging ourselves here, but before we ourselves experienced the degree of pain worthy of a descriptor, like profound, our limited understanding of grief is that it was a process with a beginning and an end. We saw grief as something that's always happened to people over there. (laughs) And we could tell when the grief process was over because the person who was grieving now appeared to be fine. (laughs) Ha. But once our own hearts have been decimated, that all changes. When we ourselves have been broken beyond repair, we respond to the devastating pain with sincere and careful support and not transactional compassion. We are intentional with the support that we do give. We know that this is not a process with an eventual conclusion. We know the truth. And we feel compelled to bring others into it gently. I've heard this understanding expressed in many ways. Here are just a couple. Quote, wow, before my fill-in-the-blank died, I thought grief was just a thing people went through. Somebody dies and, and there's a process that starts and ends. I didn't realize that grief is ongoing. I had no idea. Unquote. Or, quote, I wish I could have been more supportive for others when they needed it. I always sent flowers, food, cards, or whatever to their homes, and I went to the funeral if I had time. But I thought that was the end of the grief story. Unquote. So as my girlfriend and I are eating dinner, she expressed her own version of a similar encounter. She mentioned that until her son died, she'd always thought about grief as just a process that people went through and eventually got over. 
maybe the loss was unfortunate and tragic even. But she assumed that, well, that was all there was to it. Maybe the process was a little longer. But she shared a conversation with me that she had had supporting a friend of hers from her pre-death lens um, who'd endured, unfortunately, profound loss. And she, at that point, my friend had not herself been run over by this type of loss. So this was her pre-death lens. This is what she shared with me. Quote, I knew it was very sad when the loss happened. But now I know it didn't happen. It didn't just happen. It didn't happen to her once. It happens to her every day. And as we looked directly at each other, she said, it happens to us every day. Unquote. And there they were. Six simple words that put together reverberated with my insides as if my gut had been the exact place of their origin. It was a short sentence. It was a vague sentence without context. But in the context of my own losses, it rocked me. I felt it. And here's what I want to share. Once we can surrender to the reality that our pain and our love are one and the same, and that they do not and usually cannot exist without the other, we are released into the miracle that is our ability to accept the birth and death of all things. When we're able to grasp the cyclical nature of existence, we feel less victimized. We conclude that, well, we must have gotten our personal dose of shit early in life, and we are called to stop what we're doing or what we thought we were doing and pay attention. And until we do, it'll keep coming. And sometimes it keeps coming anyway. But the idea that as human beings, we would take some time to process the death of an important person in our lives and then return somehow to our routines as they existed pre-death, total fallacy. We don't have to contemplate whether or not we should try to return to our lives because it's not even possible. We are changed. We are cracked open. And we can tape those cracks and we can paint over them, but the foundation will never be the same. The pain is now built in. This is the truth that I referred to earlier. Once we know this type of sorrow, we cannot unknow it. So, as with most things, I agree with my friend on the six revolutionary words she put together. Grief doesn't start and stop. I can't even say start and stop because it doesn't start and stop. It happens to us every day. 
Some days are harder than others for certain. But we don't forget about someone we love just because they died. And when I'm not busy despairing, (laughs) I'm so grateful for that. Hearing these six words made a small crack in the armor I have built up around my grief and myself. The isolation that we experience when we are feeling like no one can possibly understand is one of the most insidious aspects of grief. When we feel alone, there's no place to safely drop an anchor. And without one, we get thrown around by whatever is happening. We are living accidentally. But once in a while, someone says something that reminds us that we are the anchor. For a quick moment, we remember how much love we are still capable of cultivating. And we try to allow ourselves to do so. If we stay present long enough, eventually we learn and we realize that a positive indicator of our own healing can be an increased ability to show up for others. This ability is reinforced by what we've learned, and we shouldn't squander it. When the world feels apathetic to our pain, we might find ourselves at the beginning of a dangerous emotional spiral that worsens as it deepens and only every time. And we do not want to drive that current. So instead, the only antidote I know is connection. Connection with others reminds us that while, quote, it happens to us every day, unquote, and in this conversation we're talking about grief, but you could fill in the blank happens to us every day and just put life in there or something else. But the point is the connecting with others reminds us that even though it happens to us every day, we do not have to travel alone. So welcome, and thanks again for joining this episode of the Healing Path Podcast. So today we're talking about this idea that grief happens to us every day. And I want to go ahead and pull out two or three ideas from this post, starting with what that actually means. So when I say that it, um, hearing my friend say that it happens to us every day, something on the inside came alive and was like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting to hear this, you know, my whole life, basically. So what I want to designate here in terms of the meaning behind when I say it happens every day, what that means to me, and this could mean anything to anyone, but my experience, and I think why it resonated, was not so much that I am going to, when it happens every day, it's the it is not sort of a a reliving of the experience of losing either or both of my children who I lost, whom I lost. 
it's not so much about reliving the moments and the excruciating experience of, you know, the day to day. That does happen sometimes, but I wouldn't say that that happens to me every day. This is, you know, more than two decades out from both of those losses, just for context and a lot of work. Um, But it's not so much, I don't mean it happens to us every day, like we're reliving it every day. What happens to me every day is I remember that it's real. And I'm intentionally leaving a pause there because it's profound. When I heard it, it was profound. And now I just want to share the idea. We're not reliving our grief every day. But people around us, we need to understand and we need to help people around us understand that every day we have to remember that it's real. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. I had written a post about Alexis's birthday, which is August 10th, and it might have even been on the 10th um, this year, as I do, I guess, most years. And when I wrote about it, I was saying um, something to the effect of, I know my daughter died, but she's coming back, right? It's just this idea that we have to re-acknowledge, we have to recall and process. If you've seen any movies about loss of memory, um, 51st Dates is a cute one. And it it sort of plays out this idea that someone who's lost their memory has to be reminded on a regular basis. You know, this is the situation. This is why these things are in place. This is why you live at home and so forth. So worth checking out if you haven't seen it. But the idea is, yeah, we have to remember it's real. And so it's not like we wake up in the morning and it's the first thing we think of. I'm speaking for myself, actually. I don't think of it necessarily. There are times I do, but not every day. But what happens is once I get up and move around in the world, I'm reminded. Something happens and I go, oh, that's right. And it's not even a conscious thing necessarily. But I just wanted to share that because it was very profound for me and it kind of captured. I'm always um, just striving to find more expressive language and more articulate ways of sharing what the experience is, because that, again, it comes to connection. So when we can truly communicate how we feel, we've got a better shot at someone else being able to understand, even if it's not to the same degree, but that's the goal. So when I hear a phrase that really captures my experience, I want to shout it from the rooftops, even though I wish it didn't happen to you every day. Second point I want to pull out here is why does it matter? Like, why does it matter? Why does this phrase, what does it mean to me? Why is it so important? And why did it move me so? And the answer is because it, It acknowledges that, again, that connection of realizing someone else has an inkling or an insight into what your experience is. When that happens, when two separate experiences interface, in that moment, it becomes a joint experience, even if the details are different, even if the circumstances, even if you're different (laughs) demographic, it doesn't matter. It's a human experience. And when they interface, Suddenly, we go from feeling alone and perhaps at the beginning of another bout with depression or deep sadness, 
and going down that road, we go from that state of mind to feeling the connection that really chemically occurs when we interact with another life. So that's why it matters, because it keeps us from losing (laughs) most of the time our very minds. Connecting with others makes us feel a little less nuts and a little more human. And that is why it's helpful to be able to communicate what we're feeling and to, you know, try to increase those skills. The other reason I would say to the, you know, answer the question, why does it matter that we, you know, have this connection is we're able to then manage and set expectations. We can plan, right? If when we lose someone we love, we have zero understanding that this is an all-day, everyday life transition that is never to be um, supporting or part of a life that is the same. If we really grasp that, then we can use that information. We can layer in self-care. We can make sure we get the therapy or support group support that we need. We can devote time for prayer and meditation and to be in nature and to do the things that fill us. If we don't have this understanding, then sometimes we're just waiting around to feel better. And trying a lot of different modalities, as I always talk about in the intro. But seriously, if I had been told to stand on my head, I would have done it. I didn't know what else to do. And not everything that I tried to do to shake the longing and the sadness and the despair was alleviated by something that was good for me. So I'll just (laughs) throw that out there. I don't talk about those in the intro. But the point is, if we have no real grasp of the fact that this is a permanent situation, then we're setting ourselves up for death by a thousand cuts for ourselves because we'll keep bumping into it. Remember I was talking about the reminders that we have to remember it's real. So we'll, we bump up against reality again and again and again. And in the beginning, it's all that happens, but we don't want to We don't want to be attacked. And that's how it feels when, at least for me, when I'm grieving, if I feel unseen, I feel, I feel um, ambushed, you know, going out the door. Oh, there's a, you know, a stroller, there's a bus, there's a, you know, a teenager and her mom, you know, playing tennis. There's, you know, a mother walking her dog with her son, whatever. When you don't have a handle on this and you can't ever really get a handle on it, but at least when we are managing our own expectations, we don't have to be so vulnerable. We don't have to feel so exposed because exposure leads to numbing and, you know, really just struggling. And we want to, again, we don't want to do those things. We want to layer in what we need. And the best way to prepare to do that is to spend time and space with others who have walked this path. Their experience will not be the exact same, but there will be things that overlap. And then perhaps you too will feel like you've heard six words that felt like they came from your gut because your whole body was like, 
whoa. So I hope you have that experience because it's, it's kind of cool. The third and, and final idea on this is just, you know, getting to that next question then. Okay, so we understand that it happens every day. We understand why it matters, but now what? So the idea here is now what is fill in the blank for you, but the invitation is knowing this. What do I now do with the information? If I'm new to grief and I'm talking, even if I'm not new to grief, (laughs) if I'm a veteran in the grief process, I understand. So, okay, I've got a couple of things under my belt. One is I understand that this isn't going anywhere. Another one is, you know, it's important that I really truly do try to grasp this so that I can feel more confident and comfortable and strong as I go out into the world instead of feeling like I'm being ambushed. But as a relatively uh, new griever or someone new to the process anyway, the death could have been, you know, 30 years ago. But when you're new to the process, so I understand you say, okay, I know it happens every day. I know why it matters. So now what? And the answer to this third question of, okay, now what? Is (laughs) to be determined completely by each one of us. Because our journeys are so completely unique that we can't possibly find a way to get a template, (laughs) quite frankly, for our grieving process. So I don't recommend that you try. I do recommend that you look to others who have had similar experiences because again, especially if I'm new to this process, I'm going to want to be around others and learn from others. Okay, you know, help me out. Just the same as we do, you know, I remember training to work in the pediatric ICU and I had a uh, an 18 month apprenticeship, literally, and it was a, it was paid, um, but I literally was not let out in the ICU on the pediatric population until I had worked endlessly with a seasoned, capable, professional pediatric ICU nurse. That is how we learn. If we want to learn any skill, we look around to people that show us what's possible. So in a broad way, absolutely, we want to um, identify others who we can connect with who are further down the path than we are. But in terms of what do we do now that we get it, that's, that's a tif- you know, fill in the blank for yourself. And it can take a while. It took me, you know, 20 plus years to even start reacting to the fact that I was asking myself the question. I didn't want to listen to it until then. So it can take a long time or it can take a short time, but, but it's a lifetime of an answer. So don't be in a rush. Every day, you're a little closer to something, a little further from something else. And hopefully, you know, you learn to trust yourself, you learn to trust those things. And as you're planning and, and dreaming big dreams, because they will come back, you do still have that ability. Our imagination and our sense of wonderment is very much a part of being human, even when our hearts have been decimated. So on that note, <laughs> thanks again for joining this episode of the Healing Path Podcast. and. Until we meet again, let's do our very best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I am so grateful that you check out the podcast. Have a great weekend.